back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. I'm Steph Albiero. I'm here with the Fantasy Phenom, my partner in crime in this fantasy game, Alex Lott. And you guys asked for it. We're going to deliver. We were so excited. We didn't even wait. We we're going to wait till later this week to get into round two of these Dynasty Superflex rookie mocks. But we just had to hit the ground running this week because there's a lot of exciting players in round two. And just like we talked about in round one, which we posted just a few days ago, a lot is going to change between now and the draft based on draft capital. This year, I cannot find a consensus on these players. And there's no way that 15 running backs go in the top four rounds of the NFL draft. There's just no way. We're going to see a lot of Jermar Jeffersons. We could see some Kenny Gainwells this year. But Alex, you're ready to talk about some of these premium prospects some have question marks, some don't, but are you ready to, to jump into this group? I am, and you said it. There's going to be a lot of discrepancies here between our ranking stuff. You and I have a lot of discrepancies, especially starting in round two in our rankings. Those are all in our Discord as well, which are posted. Our Discord's posted in the link below. Join us there if you haven't already. That's where we are answering these draft questions, talking about your rosters, evaluating trades. It's an absolute blast. And we've had some questions about tiers in this draft. Like, where is that cutoff? Where is that drop off? in production. I think in, in round one, it's around pick seven or eight. Uh, I think there's a, a clear top two. Then I think around pick seven or eight, there's a fall off. And then I think probably around pick 206 is when it's just going to become a total crapshoot. There's probably four or five names that we really like at the start of, of this round. And after that, it's just going to really depend on draft capital. We have some guys we like more than others, but that draft capital is going to be so telling. And I'm sure that's something we're going to continue to talk about as we get into round two, let's throw round one up on the board. Yep, so if yep. someone's like, what the heck? You forgot about this guy. Like, let's throw round one on the board. If you want breakdowns of these players, we talk about all of them at length in our round one um, mock, which we just did earlier this week. So round one's on the board. Steph, you are going to be up first with this 201. Who's it going to be? And before I even make my selection, I want to talk about just real quickly, because we didn't talk about it last time, but I posted this on Twitter in the Discord. We want to have a process for these takes. I was going toe-to-toe. -to -toe. I'm not going to call anybody out, but essentially it was Zach Wilson versus Trevor Lawrence. And I was like, there's nothing on paper. There's very little on film that you can point to. And film's so subjective anyways. I was like, there's somebody said the ceiling of Zach Wilson's higher than Trevor Lawrence. And I'm like, there's no process that you could say. There's no number that you can point to. There's no metric that you can hang your hat on that justifies that take. And so for everything we're throwing out there today, what you can say, you might disagree. You may think we're out of our minds with some of these takes, but at least we have a process and can provide reasoning and back up what we're putting out there. So for quarterbacks, we're looking for tools or efficiency. Talked about that a lot when we talked about Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, Sam Howell, guys that we all had in the first round. We'll talk about some other quarterbacks today. For the running backs, we look at draft capital. That's the number one highest indicator for running backs. That's really all that matters is opportunity. Same thing for quarterbacks to a degree as well. And then also size adjusted athleticism and pass catching ability. How are they going to be utilized at the pro level for wide receivers? The most important traits we look for are age adjusted target share, breakout age and college production in context. There's a lot of wide receivers in this class that have holes in their counting stats. Guys that either got injured didn't break out to their third year in college. Talked about Jamison Williams as one of those players. We're going to get into a few more like George Pickens as well here today. And then at the tight end position, we'll see if a tight end sneaks into the second round. I doubt it, but we could see a tight end that 
has fantastic size adjusted athleticism and college production in context. Those are the things we want to look for. And again, on the margins, draft capital landing spot will make a lot of these decisions for us. But I will get into my selection here. A lot of people probably think with quarterbacks rounding out the first round that I'm going to go back to the quarterback spot. But I'm not going to go Matt Corral yet. I'm not going to go Matt Corral because I'd rather buy the injury discount for a special player. I don't see anything truly special about Matt Corral and the fact that he's in a really weak quarterback class. I'm going George Pickens out of Georgia. National champion, Bulldog team. George Pickens was able to, to get on the field after taking his ACL in spring practice. Reports are that he should be fighting for an opportunity to play in camp going into the season. We'll have to monitor reports. And certainly the draft capital will tell us if George Pickens goes second round, then we know the NFL is okay with the injury risk on him. But for George Pickens... In 12 games, he broke out as a freshman in the SEC, 18-and-a-half-year-old breakout age from George Pickens. That's 96th percentile. He was the wide receiver one on a run-first team. Again, as an 18-and-a-half-year-old freshman, 15% target share, 727 yards, eight touchdowns, and breaking out. This is from rotoviz.com. They've done all the metrics and analytics on breakout age. Breaking out means you had more than 20% of your team's receiving yards and touchdowns. Well, as a freshman, George Pickens had 23% of his team's receiving yards and had a 79% catch rate on 82 targets. So the efficiency right out of the gate from George Pickens was fantastic. And then in 2020, in eight games, he would have been on pace in a 13-game season for 832 yards, 59 receptions, and 10 touchdowns. Took that target share up a notch on an offense that was brutal at times. They were seventh in the SEC in passing yards per game with that Stetson Bennett, JT Daniels, timeshare at the quarterback spot. It was rough and a run first offense on a team that loves to play good defense to win games for George Pickens to have. Like he's not going to have that 1,214 yard season, but an 85th percentile yards per reception. So again, efficient in that second year. And then talked about some of the injury stuff. But if you look at George Pickens, he's a 6'3", 195 pound receiver. He's lanky, has a strong catch radius, great speed in the open field. He's a tall, physical receiver. He is your prototype athletic X, a guy that we talked about just like Drake London. My comp, and I've thrown this out there before, I'll, I'll keep preaching it from the rooftops. Devontae Parker, in a good way, is my comp for George Pickens. Same type of player as A.J. Green, D.J. Chark, just these explosive, tall, lanky guys that can go up and make plays on the outside. God forbid he lands in a Green Bay or Kansas City where there will be a quarterback that can get in the ball to the perimeter. What you're looking for George Pickens at the next level is for him to grow his route tree, refine his route running. I watched every single target from his 2020 season, and what I've heard from other film grinders is that George Pickens has all the tools. The health will come down to the draft capital. I'm trusting the NFL doctors. The icing on the cake for me, though, is that Pickens is an early declare, which sets him apart from a lot of these other guys who have some questions in their profile. I'm taking all of these mock drafts right now with a huge grain of salt, but for whatever it's worth on NFLMockDraftDatabase.com where they aggregate all the mock drafts from all these so-called experts, George Pickens is, is getting mocked 29th overall to Kansas City, mm -hmm. 28th overall to Green Bay, 28th overall to Tennessee. So that's how yeah. I'm starting out this second round. I like it. And regard that's the thing. We're going to hit on it right off the bat. This time we talked about it in round one. 
when we're looking at these these mock drafts for rookies, it's really three things we're looking at. We're looking at talent, we're looking at draft capital, and we're looking at landing spot. Right now, really all we can do is look at talent. The talent we're sure of, at least, you know, the analytics, the film, things like that, we can see what we see. The the draft capital, we can project, but we still don't have any certainty there. But we start to get a feel with some of these mocks, the ranges where these players are going to go. When draft day comes, that's going to solidify the draft capital piece. The landing spot, though, it's all a question mark. So you said back into the first round, I think that would check the box from a draft capital standpoint. I know the mocks are fun to think about Green Bay, Kansas City. We can't assume that at all. No matter, Even if he went to like a Chicago to be a number two and he went in round one, if they were able to move up and get him in the back of round one, I think that could be a fun spot with Darnell Mooney. I think Pickens is a good prospect and a good athlete, but Steph... I'm going to go ahead and, and do it at the 202. I thought about it at the end of the first round. I ultimately went with Sam Howell for a little bit more upside. He showed me a little bit more at North Carolina. But I'm going to go ahead and take Matt Corral at the 202. I see why people are fading him. But if I can get him at the 202, I think that's an absolute steal. Because the truth is, I think the talent is is good. I don't necessarily think it's great. You know, If he was in last year's quarterback class, he's the, the quarterback six off the board, no doubt. Um, but from a talent perspective, I think he's good at Ole Miss. He showed us enough. You know, in his junior season, he threw for over 3,000 yards, 29 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, over 500 rushing yards, 70% completion percentage. So there were high, high hopes for Matt Corral coming into his senior season in 2021. Still had a good year, but he didn't take that step forward that we wanted to see. He put up very, very similar numbers in 2021 his per game averages were actually down a little bit his yards per attempt were down his completion percentage was down but he did battle injuries some of his top receivers battled some injuries as well so i'm not going to hold that against matt corral but i just think he is a good not necessarily great prospect and when i think about a comp for matt corral this has really uh, uh stuck with me and, and it came to me lately i think matt corral is a slightly more mobile baker mayfield they're just about the same size now baker had much more explosive top-end college numbers, but you have to remember Baker was playing in the Big 12 while Matt Corral is playing over in the SEC. So Matt Corral's numbers were still good in college. Baker's were explosive and great and whatnot, but Matt Corral is actually way more mobile. The 500 or more rushing yards for two straight seasons, that's something you like at the NFL level. He's a competitor. You know, He's fiery. He's feisty. He's not scared of any situation. I think that competitiveness and being a team leader, at least hoping he's a team leader, is something that's driving that that draft capital up as well. But at the end of the day, we expect Matt Crowell to go in that first round, and that's why he's a steal here at the 202. Because if you're getting a quarterback drafted in the first round, you got to assume he's going to get a shot in the league. I think he is better than a lot of other NFL quarterbacks right now. Like There is a quarterback shortage in the NFL. You see guys like Sam Darnold potentially still getting to start for the Panthers. We do expect them to draft somebody, but you see Marcus Mariota still starting, Jameis Winston. By no means are these guys just absolutely toast, but these guys should be replaced by some of these up-and-coming younger prospects. So Matt Crow's going to get an opportunity. He's going to get drafted in the first round, and whether I really believe in the talent or not, I think he's good enough to have a shot in the NFL. So at the 202, that's just something I can't pass up, especially in these Superflex leagues. When if you can get a quarterback, especially one that has a little bit of mobility like Matt Corral, it's worth the upside shot for me early in the second round. Yeah, you hope he lands somewhere where they're just a band-aid at quarterback so he can step in when that opportunity arises, like the Washington football team, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Seattle, New Carolina, yeah, New Orleans. A lot of spots. A lot of landing spots for Matt Corral. And for, for all of these quarterbacks, we'll just see how desperate these teams get when they reach. My problem with Corral is that I don't see anything like ex- 
exceptional, eye-popping, super special from his numbers or on tape. I put him a tier below like Tua when you want to just talk about SEC quarterbacks. I put him slightly ahead of like a Kyle Trask, which if you think back to Kyle Trask, was taken as the last pick in the second round on a team to be just a set it and forget it backup. We thought there might be a chance for him to be the starter with Tom Brady retiring. Obviously, Brady's back. So the verdict's still out on what Kyle Trask can be or will be at the NFL level. But at least with Trask, you could point to the fact that he's 6'5", 236 pounds, a big QB, big arm plays, had over 4,200 passing yards you know, as a senior, a 43 to eight touchdown to interception ratio. Like that senior season from Trask was special, was exceptional. When you look at his season long stat lines, I just don't see that from Corral. And that's why he's a bit lower for me. This is one of those things where the NFL will tell us how they value these guys. And we could see Corral firmly over like a Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell, depending on how this draft Mm -hmm. plays out. But for my pick here at the 203, I'm going back to the Georgia Bulldogs. I'm going with Zemir White. Zemir White was a guy that I was middle of the fence on. But then after the combine, I I did not expect Zemir White to be as explosive as he was, especially coming off multiple ACL tears at six foot, 214 pounds, ran a 4-4 flat. That's a 95th percentile speed score. This is a bursty running back. This is an explosive running back. You want to think about that size and speed combo. We're talking about other premium assets in Dynasty, Cam Akers, 5'10", 217, Javante Williams, mm-hmm. 5'10", 212. So Zamir White at six foot 214 is close to that. And if you want to look at it from a just measurable size, speed perspective, DeMarco Murray is the perfect comp at six foot 215 pounds, runs a 4'4", right there neck and neck with Zamir White. These guys are mirror images. If you just look at their testing, their measurables, hopefully Zamir White can get some draft capital. The fact that he's an early declare is great to see. I view him as a poor man's Kenneth Walker because he did not get a ton of passing work. We saw James Cook essentially take all of it from that backfield in Georgia where they do run a committee. You know, a thunder and lightning approach with with Cook and White was really, really fun to watch at the college level. Obviously, they got a championship out of those guys, but we didn't see more than 3% target share for Zemir White. And that's, that's going to be one of the big question marks. I don't want to overreact to it, though, especially if he gets draft capital. He is going to be more of your north and south power runner compared to a Kenneth Walker, not quite as, you know, a guy that's going to beat you to the outside every single time. I think his biggest weakness is his balance. Right? If you see you know, ankle tackles, you see him take hits on the lower body, he doesn't have that freak Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, like ballerina style to his game that even like Najee Harris had where you just see him make these incredible receptions and stay on his feet somehow. But still, Zamir White, very elusive, tackle-breaking monster, wasn't as efficient as James Cook, but still a very solid 5.4 yards per attempt his last two seasons, 5.2 yards per attempt his freshman year in the SEC. So at worst, I think you're looking at a guy who's playing a slasher grinder role, a Raheem Mostert, a Ronald Jones. That's what I kind of see as his, his low-end comps. But with the athletic measurables, hopefully some draft capital landing spot, I think we're going to be forced, the whole community will be forced, into loving Zamir White. The mock drafts right now have him going anywhere from round one to round four. I have no idea what to think about any of this right now. I'm not even going to throw out some of these these mock spots for Zamir White. But if he goes in the top three rounds, I'm going to be really, really excited about him as a prospect. Yeah, something we got to remember last year. And I was, I was going to bring this up later um, as we get into more of these running back names. But last year we had Najee and Etienne in the first, Javante in the second. Trey Sermon in the third and Michael Carter in the early, early fourth. And 
by Trey Sermon going in the third round, Michael Carter early fourth. We thought they were good prospects. We weren't in love with either of their profiles as talents. Obviously, Trey Sermon didn't work out. Michael Carter had a decent season, but we still don't think he's going to be the truth and the answer in New York. And we saw Trey Sermon and Michael Carter because there's this RB thirst in Dynasty Leagues. We saw them consistently going in the back end of the first round in Dynasty Superflex Leagues. And that was with five QBs at the top of this class. That was with Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, the receivers, Ron Dale and Elijah Moore and Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith. Like this class was stacked. And we still saw Carter and Sermon sliding into the background one because they were running backs that got day two. And in Carter's case, just about day two, you know, as close as you can get to day two draft capital. So if we see guys like Zamir White, um, guys like James Cook, guys like Brian Robinson and more that we're going to get into later, Jerome Ford, if we see these guys slide into day two of this NFL draft, it's going to make them really interesting and they're going to start flying up these dynasty rookie draft boards. So I think that's a great pick, Steph. And I'm going to go ahead and go back to the wide receiver spot here at the 204. I'm going Jahan Dotson, another guy who, if he ends up getting round one capital, he's another one of those names. We expect the Chiefs and the Packers to be taking these receivers. We can't project it. I'm not assuming that with this. But if he does slide into the back of round one, those are the teams that are picking there. And I think he could be another name that people are debating at the 112, at the 111. Uh, because Jahan Dotson's a really good player. He was dominant at Penn State last season, 91 receptions, 1,182 yards, 12 touchdowns. Most impressive to me, the 30% target share in his senior year at Penn State. This isn't a team that threw the ball a ton. This isn't a very explosive offense. So the fact he was able to put up these kind of numbers at Penn State, just incredibly impressive for Jahan Dotson. He is a little bit smaller. Uh, 5'11", 183 is where he was listed in college. Looks like he actually came in at 5'11", 178. So he is a little bit on the smaller side, but his comps for me are guys like um, Deontay Johnson, Tyler Lockett. And with, with Dotson, we always said before the combine, I said, this is a guy who he's fast enough and he has game speed, but he's not one of these absolute burners. Yet at the combine, he comes out and runs a 4-4-3. So I ate my words there a little bit. The 4-4-3 is fantastic, but this is a really shifty, slippery route runner who just finds ways to get open. You think about Deontay Johnson on the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's not this burner down the field, but he's always finding ways to get open. Tyler Lockett, another guy who has game-breaking speed if it's needed, but he is just sh so shifty, and it always seems like he's able to get open. So Dotson is that same kind of player. Uh, you know, I, I know in Deontay Johnson's case, he has really been able to elevate himself to a wide receiver one, a target magnet on an offense. I don't necessarily think Jahan Dotson's going to be there. I think his upside is more of a Tyler Lockett playing a really good 1B on a pass-happy offense if that's where he ends up. So to me, if Jahan Dotson sneaks into the back of first round or even early round two, you know, at the end of the day, pick 31 and pick 35 are four picks apart, but we just think about it in these absolute regimented rounds. If Dotson gets the draft capital that we expect early round two, late round one, I think he's talented enough to come in and be a really, really strong number two wide receiver right off the bat. It could even be a Tyler Lockett path. Or I remember Tyler Lockett's rookie season, those first couple of years, he was a special teamer. Dotson has some special teams experience. Lockett was out there returning kicks, impacting the game. He was like the number three receiver on the Seattle offense when they had Doug Baldwin and some of those guys back in the day. He slowly worked his way up to be more and more trusted and more and more of an asset. So Dotson's one of those guys that might come in his rookie year. He's might not be a league winner in fantasy football in these dynasty leagues, but as you go on, he's someone that can be very, very valuable to an offense. And if the right pieces come together with a quarterback, with his development and things like that, he could be a really strong wide receiver too, um, year in and year out for your fantasy roster. So Dotson at the 204, another guy I'm really, really confident about. 
And I think the talent's there to be a good impact player. Dotson to me looks like one of these Alabama receivers, right? It's kind of slender, but explosive, pretty versatile, special teams. This looks like a guy that should have been right there, like with Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, <laughs> Jamison Williams, because of the way that he looks on the field and the way he plays. But he goes to Penn State and then dominates the Big Ten for two years. The fact that he had 30% target share at a senior as a senior, like I know the late declare hurts to see in his profile, but he was doing what he should be doing if he is older, more experienced, better against the opposing defenses. I think he has a good combo of speed and quickness, probably not elite with either trait, but is well above average in both. And I think this year, a lot of these GMs are seeing Tyreek Hills all over this draft. The underside speedsters from Olave and Wilson, Jahan Dotson, even Jamison Williams. There's a lot of guys that fit into that mold. I think we're going to see a lot of teams say, look, we're not going to overextend and get a Kadarius Tony in the first round like the Giants did last year. They're going to wait until this tier. And Jahan Dotson looks like the last guy that I would want. Maybe we'll talk about some Sky Moore, Christian Watson. But as far as a proven producer against top-tier competition, Dotson's the last of this mold. But now back to me at the 205. Mid-second round, this is where you start to take some upside shots. We're shooting for ceiling, not really shooting for floor. And for that reason, I'm going for Rashad White. Rashad White as from Arizona State is the pick here. He's being projected right now to go day two, which I think would be fantastic for him. It would definitely solidify this early to mid-second round ranking in this rookie class. He started out as a Juco prospect, which you, you kind of hate to see. We like to see our running backs have a lot of their pedigree, have that Zumir White, like stud at a high school, go straight into the SEC. But Rashad White took over the backfield at Arizona State his senior year. I, I like his patience. I like his vision behind the line. The receiving chops are there. He's not super elusive as a rusher, nor is he super physical. And I think that's where a lot of the downside in Rashad White lies is he may not be good enough between the tackles to actually be an RB1 workhorse for a team. I don't necessarily see him being that David Johnson type athlete, even though I'm seeing some of the comps there based on the size and the speed, the athleticism. I said going into the combine that Rashad White was built like a receiver physically, but after the combine results came in, I was actually wrong on that. So comes in at six foot, 214 pounds, above the 28 BMI threshold. He was coming in based on what his numbers were in college, what Arizona State had posted. He was going to be below 27 as far as BMI. So hitting that 28 BMI threshold now, ideally you want your running backs in the 28 to 31 body mass index. You just look at running backs who have been top 24 PPR, almost all of them are between 28 to 31. And then runs a 44840, that's an 84th percentile weighted 40 and then has a top tier burst score he jumped into the gym in the vertical and the long jump so the athleticism checks out he's a fine runner on tape but he's such a good receiver and the numbers bear that out 43 receptions 456 receiving yards that senior year a 20 percent target share fourth amongst our running backs and receiving yards in the country sixth in the country in receptions for running backs you hope that he could be a scat back plus for a team as a rookie, and then take on more work over time on the ground. Think of David Johnson. The, the high-end comps here would be like DeAndre Swift, Miles Sanders. You know, if you look at the this, this size as well, Alvin Kamara fits into that same size mold at 5'10", 214. 
unfortunately, there are a lot of guys that buster out with that same type of profile. Think of Kylan Hill last year. So I'm not sure if Rashad White is going to be Naheem Hines, Chase Edmonds, David Johnson. There's a huge range of outcomes for him, which is why he is below some of these other running backs that I think are more secure to be workhorses. But if Rashad White gets the draft capital, I could see him being the 201. It's it's a little bit of a hot take, but if he does get the draft capital, he is what we want. I mean, we see it time and time again, some of these hybrid receiver running back type guys being really successful. And it's interesting because it feels like when we've seen these players go into the NFL at the running back position, we have a lot more success. Guys like Antonio Gibson, guys like DeAndre Swift with the receiving chops that he had. But when we've seen these guys go to the wide receiver position, think about your Curtis Samuels, your Rondale Moores. It's a lot harder to find the Debo Samuel. So I feel like with Rashad White really classifying as a running back, if that's how he's used at the NFL level, he has a much higher likelihood of extreme success than if he were to be trying to classify himself as a wide receiver Swiss Army Knife type player. So that's something that's working in his favor as well. But Steph, let's go ahead and move on to the 206. I'm going to go to the wide receiver spot, and I'm going to go with Christian Watson. I'm going to go with the name that has come out of nowhere but has been rising up these draft boards, rising up these super flex rookie draft boards everywhere because Christian Watson – I mean, he played at North Dakota State for four years, and this is an FCS school. Um, he played with Trey Lance for a few years, and this isn't a team that was airing it out very much. Like, if you look at Christian Watson's college numbers, nothing really pops off the page at you. Like, last season, 43 receptions for 801 yards, seven touchdowns. So the numbers aren't, like, mind-boggling and explosive, but the efficiency was fantastic. I mean, over 18 yards per reception. In 2020, over 24 yards per reception. And then in 2019, over 21 yards per reception. So this is a guy who can do a lot with a little. He's six foot four, 208 pounds. So he is this super tall, super lean outside guy. He ran a 4-3-6-40, which we were thinking low 4-4s would make this guy an absolute darling for these NFL scouts. Runs a 4-3-6. And we've seen him being mocked sometimes in the first round, which is absolutely ridiculous. Again, he's six foot four and he was returning kicks at North Dakota State. So this is just one of these dynamic, explosive athletes that can do it all. At the NFL level, it's really hard to draw comps for this kind of body style because you think about a guy like a Mike Williams, and he's a little bit bigger, a little bit slower than a guy like Christian Watson. You think about someone like a Jamar Chase, he's a little bit shorter and obviously has the college production over a guy like Christian Watson. You throw out Martavis Bryant, which I think was a really good comp, just this lean outside receiver. If Martavis Bryant could have stayed out of trouble and stayed on the field. Who knows what kind of prospect and player he could have been at the NFL level. Another name I want to throw out there just from a size perspective is Braylon Edwards. I mean, this guy was 6'3", 211. He didn't quite have the speed of Christian Watson, but he was just this big physical outside guy that could win these jump balls and make these explosive splash plays down the field. So Christian Watson, someone that's rising up draft boards. He's a deep name. There's a lot of risk involved with Christian Watson, but like your Rashad White pick, we're shooting for upside here. And if Christian Watson can get the draft capital and he can get into one of these NFL systems, maybe they can do some things with him coming out of a program like North Dakota State, really spark his development uh, the same way that we saw from a guy like Elijah Mitchell last season. Totally different position, totally different player, totally different draft capital. But sometimes you get these small school guys that just don't have the exposure to the type of coaching and the type of resources and the facilities that the NFL teams have. So that's why when we see a small school guy going on day one, going on day two, a lot of times their development can get sparked a lot quicker because things just click for them 
when they get those NFL resources and those NFL coaches. So Christian Watson, there's a lot of risk involved with him as a prospect, but as far as just the tools go, the size, the speed, the athleticism, he's a guy that's going to be really interesting in these drafts. And by the time we get to the mid-second round, I mean, looking at the names on the board, there's still some names I like. Some running backs could get interesting, and if they get the draft capital, we'll talk about them here. In a minute, they'll certainly move up, probably ahead of a guy like Christian Watson. But at this point in the draft, I'm really comfortable taking this kind of risk. We may see Watson get on the field sooner rather than later in special teams and as a yeah. just overall weapon. He had over 100 rushing yards each year of college at North Dakota State. And while I do agree with you on some of the high-end comps, I want to keep in mind 40 is not the end-all, be-all. Two wide receivers. We've seen guys that are super fast. Like, is Christian Watson more Darius Slayton, Denzel Mims, Henry Ruggs, who was underperforming relative to his draft capital start off his career? Or is he more of that, you know, boom bust, Martavis Bryant weapon? That's what I think his upside is. I don't see him necessarily being a, a target hog. I don't see him being a target magnet at the NFL level, but who knows? I've been wrong before. I'm going Brian Robinson here at the 207 out of Alabama. Think he's going to get draft capital. Certainly, if he gets brought into an organization to be the workhorse running back, he's going to be another guy that vaults into the first half of the second round. Right now, we have him in the middle. I see some 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 holes in the Brian Robinson profile. Obviously, the fact that he's going to be 23 at the start of his rookie year it means that you're selling Brian Robinson in two years. You're getting him for two seasons. The running back age peak is 24.8 years old. So you definitely want to sell sooner rather than later if you're taking Brian Robinson on the margins. If I'm a contending roster, I'm actually fine taking Brian Robinson to just you know, hopefully fill a, a gap uh, for a contender. If I'm rebuilding, I'll go with another long-term upside prospect like a Christian Watson over B-Rob. But he played five seasons at Alabama. He's a redshirt senior at 6'2", 226 pounds. It's very similar to Najee Harris at 6'1", 230 pounds. And he was stuck behind Najee Harris on the depth chart for four years. Okay, but what we saw from B-Rob is that in year five, 271 carries, 1,343 yards. So a nice, like solid five uh, yards per attempt. 35 receptions, so 7.5% target share for 296 yards through the air, and then 16 total touchdowns. He was second in the country, only behind Kenneth Walker in broken tackles. And on its own, I think the production was solid, very solid for that 2021 season. The sneaky receiving production means that he can't be a dump off. I don't want to say this is going to be a guy that you're going to see in the slot or do anything crazy in the passing game, but he can be a dump off receiver like we see A.J. Dillon you know, doing in 2021. The number one question for all of us in fantasy is why did it take Brian Robinson five years to break out? Is it because he's not that good? Or is it just because he was buried on an Alabama depth chart that had Najee, Damian Harris, Josh Jacobs, even like Bo Scarborough, who did have some flashes in the NFL, right? What was the reason for that. It may just be, look, this guy's just not as good as Najee Harris. Not many running backs are as good as Najee Harris, and certainly not all of them are going to go to Pittsburgh and be 100% snap share running backs, but the hope for Brian Robinson is that he can go to a team with an open landing spot and just be a set-it-and-forget-it workhorse, even if he's not the most explosive runner, even if he's not the guy who's going to make something out of nothing. We know he's going to fall forward for yardage, probably be a goal line back just because of his size, and I think if a team drafts Robinson high to be their RB1, I'm very, very interested assuming he's still going around this ADP in super flash rookie drafts. 
Yeah, I like the Brian Robinson pick. That That's who I would have taken here, Steph. You definitely sniped me with Robinson. And he's one of these polarizing players. A lot of people just think he is washed and slow and just, you know, someone that runs into the back of his offensive line every single play. And then there's the other side of the camp that, thanks to your point, he was just buried on the, this depth chart. He showed good efficiency. He showed some receiving ability at Alabama. He is a little bit older. But I, I tend to, to fall on the side that's optimistic about Brian Robinson if he finds the right landing spot. So I like the pick there in the middle of the second round. And he is one of these big backs that, if put in the right situation, could carry a huge workload, even if it's not efficient. Uh, you think about Leonard Fournette when he started his career on the Jaguars. Efficiency was absolutely terrible. Now, Fournette was a unicorn of a prospect, especially compared to Brian Robinson. But just from a volume standpoint, Fournette was a good running back in fantasy year in and year out just because he got a ridiculous amount of volume. But Steph, with that, let's move on. Where are we? The 208 now in this draft. With the 208, I'm going back to the Georgia running backs. I'm going with James Cook. Nice. You took Samir White earlier. I'm taking James James Cook now. I think there's gonna these two are gonna flip flop in people's rankings because they're both out of Georgia. They're both the same age, even though Zamir White isn't early declared. James Cook was a four year player, and they both could get similar draft capital. They both are being floated as day two picks in this draft. But what I like about James Cook, even though he's a little bit undersized, you know, he comes in. What did he come in at five eleven, close to two hundred pounds, which is not bad. It's not a death sentence. We'll take it. Not a death sentence if you're one ninety nine. Um, but he was efficient in this Georgia offense and he got better and better every single season and he's Dalvin Cook's younger brother so that's got to count for something with some genetics but we saw him continue to build his efficiency each and every season at Georgia this past season 113 carries 728 yards on the ground over seven yards per carry uh, or just under seven yards per carry in this offense, 11 touchdowns. We also saw him used as a receiver a lot. I mean, through the course of his career in 2019, 16 receptions, 16 receptions again in 2020, 27 receptions in 2021 in this timeshare situation at Georgia. So with James Cook, you have an explosive runner who has receiving chops, has really good efficiency on the ground. And the icing on the cake for me was the athleticism that we saw from him at the NFL Combine. You know, the Combine something we used to, check a box for players, but I was blown away and I was impressed that James Cook ran a 4-4-2, 40-yard dash, 78th percentile speed score as well. So with a lighter running back, it shows you that, okay, the speed does check out, even if he is one of these lighter guys. So he's someone that I think can come into an offense and he's not going to be a workhorse type of back, but he can have an impact from day one. You almost think of him as like a, like a Kenny Gainwell plus from last season. No way. Uh, my, my, Comp for James Cook is just like he could be Kenny Gainwell with draft capital. Yeah, exactly. Last year we we were talking about Kenny Gainwell. We wanted him to go on day two. We saw the fall happen. The situation in Philly wasn't great. But yeah, imagine if you had Kenny Gainwell plus. James Cook is giving us another chance in the prospect that we loved in Kenny Gainwell last season. And we just didn't quite get those last couple boxes after the NFL draft. So James Cook here. I mean, and last year in drafts, I feel like after Gainwell went in the fifth round, he was still going mid to late second in most super flex leagues. So to get James Cook here at the, the 208 would be great. And if he does end up getting that round two draft capital, I think he can move up a couple slots in the second round, but just another great prospect in this class. Yeah, the 199 pounds does kind of stink to see. The BMI is below the 28 threshold you look for from RB1s. It's, it's a pretty small list of running backs under 200 pounds. It's like Naheem Hines had a year. J.D. McKissick had a year. James White had a couple years, and that's pretty much the end of the list. So history doesn't 
bode well for James Cook, but he could be one of these outliers. And we saw Elijah Mitchell, uh, he's he's sneaking into that mid to high end RB2 range in Dynasty right now, which is crazy to see. James Cook has that and then some because he did play in the SEC, ball out, super efficient. So we're getting close to that range where it's it's pick your poison, go for the type of players that you like, follow the draft capital to make some of those decisions for you if you're stuck. Now you've left David Bell for me at the 209. David Bell seems to be a guy that I'm higher than consensus on, and I don't really know why. I think you have to like David Bell, even if you don't think he's elite anything, if you were disappointed in the combine performance from David Bell, you still have to look at the production because it was fantastic. He's an early declare, broke out as a true freshman before he turned 19, a 94th percentile breakout age for David Bell. Rondell Moore had the season before at Purdue where he had broken out, but only played four games as a sophomore. We saw David Bell just step right into that wide receiver one role as a true freshman in the Big Ten, going toe-to-toe with Rondell Moore on a yardage per game basis. Over 1,000 receiving yards, very impressive 25% target share and seven touchdowns as a freshman. And then just improved on that for two years, went nuclear in the COVID season, pretty much carried the passing game. He had more than double the receiving yards of the number two receiving option on the team. And then his junior season, he just put together a longer sample size of that fantastic 2020 production, had just a hair below 1,300 receiving yards, a 23% target share, was a true wide receiver one for a college program. And I think his college production profile is safe. There's no major holes in his counting stats. He doesn't have like big injury concerns like Pickens and Jamison Williams, some of these other guys. He's not going to be a sexy name. He's going to be a possession receiver. He's going to be a guy who's not the biggest yak monster in the world. He doesn't have the fastest game speed in the world, but he's a solid route runner. He's great at making receptions in traffic. From the tape I saw, he seems to be a great blocker, which I think could get him some more draft capital. My comp for him is Tyler Boyd right now. Not not a true speedster, but a reliable number two that can be deployed at X, at Y, or at Z. I think he is more landing spot dependent than these other receivers, which is why we have him a bit lower. You really want to see him on a pass-heavy team because he doesn't profile as that true number one pickens Traylon Burks, Drake London type of player, but I think he can be a great number two like we've seen from guys like Boyd, Adam Thielen, Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, and I like David Bell a lot. The speed is is causing a lot of people to, to turn away from a prospect like David Bell, and I'm going to turn the clocks back a little bit and compare him to one of my all-time favorite players from my Indianapolis Colts, Reggie Wayne. I mean, I, I think about Reggie Wayne – his play style reminds me of David Bell, or David Bell's play style, I should say, reminds me a lot of Reggie Wayne. Now, Reggie Wayne had, you know, late first round draft capital out of Miami. He had a little bit more speed when he was coming from college to the NFL level. But when I think about mid to late career Reggie Wayne, like this dude was still putting up numbers and he was so slow. <laughs> like, let's be honest. I'm sorry, Reggie, if you're watching. Amazing wide receiver, but he was just this possession receiver. He wasn't a speedster. He was a student of the game, good at route running, decent size, and he was just a straight-up good football player. And that's what David Bell reminds me of, someone who you can't quite put a finger on it, but he's giving you production. Yeah, he's a good blocker. He's fast enough, and he just knows how to get open. And that's You know, when you you go on Amazon and it shows you at the bottom, it's like, if you bought this, you'll probably like – (laughs) <laughs> if you like Amon Ross St. Brown, you're probably going to like David Bell. Yeah, so I think it's a great pick. But Steph, let's go ahead and get to the 210 now. I'm actually going to surprise you. 
I'm going to go ahead and take Trey McBride. I, I'm wow. dipping into the tight end well. I was wow. thinking about Sky Moore, but there's just so many receivers that are going to be di- – like I can't get Dwayne Eskridge out of my head for Sky Moore. I know it's a different per- person and like – it's gonna they're gonna respond differently and they're gonna go to different situations, but I just can't get past that. So maybe at the 212, if he's still there, I'll take Sky Moore. But I'm gonna go ahead and take Trey McBride because he is the one guy in this class that has the potential to be a difference maker at the tight end position for me. And it looks like he's gonna get the draft capital as well. This dude's out of Colorado State from the Mountain West Conference, and he had a 46% dominator rating in his Unreal. senior season, 6'4. 246, 22 years old. You know, his freshman year back in 2018, he was buried on the depth chart behind Preston Williams and Ola B.C. Johnson. And if you're buried behind Preston Williams and Ola B.C. Johnson, you know you must play in the Mountain West Conference. But let's be honest, that just is what it was. He finally broke out as a sophomore, stepped up his production. Um, in junior year, in, his, in, the, in the COVID year, he had a 29% target share in the four games he played but it was just a, a small sample size. So we really needed to see a full year of good production for Trey McBride. And then it all came together. He went absolutely nuts in his senior season as a tight end, a 34% target share, 134 targets, 1,121 yards in 12 games. Like unheard of production for tight ends do the not tight do end that position, in especially in college football. Exactly. So because of just the insane production of this guy, he's got good size, 6'4", 246 as well. If he gets that day two cap, day two draft capital that we expect, I've even seen him slide into round one in a couple places. I'm not going to bank on that. But I think Trey McBride is just a very good player and someone who could be an immediate asset to an NFL team. I mean, for a tight end to have a 46% dominator, 1,100 yards and 34% target share is absolutely unheard of. So if a team drafts him, they know exactly what they're getting. And he's one of these tight ends. You said it. He's a great yards after catch guy. He's a good enough blocker and he's a yards after catch guy as well. So he's going to make an impact. And if there's one tight end I'm going to bet on and I can get him in the back of the second round, it's Trey McBride. And I'm feeling great about the value. Yeah, it's fun because a lot of the players now have red flags. They have question marks. They don't necessarily show you anything special from the resume. And Trey McBride is one of those prospects that is so exciting to take in the back of the second round, early third, depending on how your league values tight ends. We are assuming tight end premium in this draft today. You know, put them early third in a non-tight end premium. But this is just a special prospect. You do not see the type of seasons that Terry McBride gives you. And I love what you said, right? Because of his resume, a team knows exactly what they're getting out of Trey McBride. They're not bringing him in to be a blocker. This is not Mm. a Trey McKitty situation this isn't one of these like deeper tight ends that really isn't going to do much not a hunter long. in the passing game. He's not a hunter long, hopefully. Hopefully, <laughs> hunter long kind of surprised us. But you've left me a great value on the board right now. Jerome Ford is the running back out of Cincinnati that I'm taking Deal. here at the 211. I'm seeing him go third round in mocks right now. Seeing him a little bit later. I'm in. I'm in on Jerome Ford. This might be a guy that is a my guy where wow. I'm just well above consensus on him, assuming he gets the draft capital. I think he has the ability to be a workhorse in the NFL straight up. He was a, He's a four-star prospect. He spent first two years of his college career buried on the depth chart in Alabama, then goes to Cincinnati. So maybe he did what Brian Robinson should have done, right? goes to Cincinnati and then ends up being a backup on Garrett Oaks, who we did see make an NFL roster. He's going to be a little bit older. 
Okay, Jerome Ford, because he was buried on the depth chart, but he had a great, great, great senior year when he did get that lead back role in Cincinnati. We saw how Cincinnati was able to make a run at the highest level. It's the highest level of competition with Desmond Ritter and Jerome Ford. 215 carries, 1,319 yards, a 76 percentile yards per carry at 6.1. Fantastic for Jerome Ford. He's a physical runner. If you look at his game against Bama in the playoffs, you're seeing him put his shoulder down against SEC safeties. He's great at pressing between the tackles, forcing defenses inside, and then breaking outside. He's a quick mover, strong jump cuts and dead legs to throw off defenders. I think he has crazy breakaway speed. Runs a 4.46 at 5.11, 2.10, but on tape, you see that breakaway speed very similarly to Kenneth Walker. 21 receptions for 221 yards receiving as well. He has a receiving background from high school or he did play wide receiver. I think that shows up on the tape as well. He can play on third downs, be used on wheel routes, dump offs, down the sideline. Because of that receiving ability, I think he has the ability to be good enough between the tackles to be the grinder and then a good enough receiving skill set to be a full-blown workhorse. The only question is maybe the size and the blocking, which could hurt his draft capital. The size isn't necessarily elite. I compare him physically to Miles Sanders, still above that 28 BMI threshold at 5'11", 210 pounds. Miles Sanders, 5'11", 211. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see Jerome Ford at the Senior Bowl. Maybe we see his stock go up if he does show up there, like we saw from Damian Pierce and Christian Watson, some of those other guys that were there. Um, But Jerome Ford is still a guy I'm very much in on if he gets that draft capital. Yeah, man, Jerome Ford is fun. And that's what we said. Like, as we get into this second round, even third round, there are some fun names on the board. Here I am at the 212, and there's a lot of names I'm considering. These dart throws at the running back spot, the wide receiver spot, that we just don't know where they're going to get drafted. I want to give some shout-outs to my kind of my my guys, if you will, of this draft. They're both sleepers. Tyler Beatty at the running back position. Please get decent draft capital. I love his talent and what he can do. I just don't know if it's going to happen because of his size. And then size also is is hurting my other my guy at the receiver spot, Wondell Robinson out of Kentucky. I think he is a phenomenal prospect, but he's a little undersized at the wide receiver spot. So we'll see what happens with those two guys. Really fun early to mid third round dart throws for me. If they can get picked up by a team, I do believe in the talent. But because the draft capital is very in question for those guys at the back of the second round, I'm going to go with more of what feels like not a sure thing, but someone who who should be uh, taken in the second rounds, and at worst the third round, honestly. And it's Sky Moore. I hinted at it on my last pick. Sky Moore seems like a safer bet at this point. We talked earlier. I talked about how James Cook feels like redemption on the Kenneth Gainwell profile, and Sky Moore feels like redemption on the Doyen Eskridge profile. And ironically, they come from the same school. And the great thing about Sky Moore, he's an early declare. And as a rookie, he's going to be like three years younger than Dwayne Eskridge was as a rookie. So <laughs> Skymore out of Western Michigan, there were a lot of questions for him before the combine. It was like, hey, we love this guy as a prospect, but if he runs, you know, four or five or slower, we're out. You know, he, he's got to have everything kind of hit for him to take the dart throw on him in the back of round two. He ran a four four one, So the speed absolutely checks out. He's someone who was a productive player at Western Michigan for three seasons, led the team in receiving yards as a freshman. You know, and as a sophomore in a COVID year, 24% target share, but was still well outproduced by Dwayne Eskridge. And then he went absolutely nuclear in 2021, a 37% target share, and he caught 70% of them. 94 receptions, close to 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns. He's a smaller guy, 5'10", 195, but big enough size, you know, to get it done, especially with that kind of speed. 
So Sky Moore to me, I think is an interesting prospect just because he can come in and probably be a number three from day one. I don't think he's going to roll in and be a one B or a, a number two for, you know, a top NFL team right off the bat, but he could come in and be a number three, do these, you know, close to line of scrimmage slant routes, these quick zig routes to get outside and use his, his speed after the catch to get first downs, maybe pop some big plays. Um, I don't see him as a guy that's going to break a, a ton of tackles at the next level because of that smaller stature. But he kind of is, like you brought up Amon Ross St. Brown earlier, talking about David Bell, he kind of is a poor man's Amon Ross St. Brown. And it's hard to find comps for guys, you know, when they stand at, at 5'10", 195. It's kind of close to OBJ size, but they're very different players. So it's kind of hard to find a guy at this size that plays the same type of game that Sky Moore plays, but he's strong at the catch point. He's actually really good at catching the ball in traffic as well, which is kind of unique for someone who works out of the slot. Um, but for me, I, yeah, I think he is someone who probably lacks a little bit of upside, but I think he could come in in the back of the second round with his draft capital and get a shot. And as we get into the back of round two, early round three in these Superflex leagues, you just want guys that are going to get on the field. Like last year in round three, if you picked up an Elijah Mitchell, if you picked up a, a Monroe St. Brown, if you picked up a Pat Fryermuth. The common denominator between these guys is that they got on the field. And with that opportunity, we like the talent. We like the talent of a ton of these guys. You just got to get out there. So in a similar way, last year, there's guys like Nico Collins that flashed a little bit, but didn't quite have the chance on the field. And if they would have got, if he gets that opportunity, if he gets it this year, maybe he will take that step forward with, with a guy like Sky Moore. I think he will get an opportunity more so than we saw from Dwayne Eskridge last year. And that's why I like him a little bit more as a prospect. And again, the one big difference between the two is that Sky Moore is coming out several years younger than Dwayne Eskridge did. The reason I feel so, I feel like Eskridge is so toast in a lot of ways is because he didn't hit as a rookie. And because he came out at age 24, he's quickly running out of time. Or with Sky Moore, if it doesn't click from day one and he has that Nico Collins type season, there still is going to be hope for him to continue to develop as a pro. Because we got to remember, not everyone comes out of a Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, alpha wide receiver one right off the bat. If you're going to be under 5'11", as a receiver in the NFL, you neither need to either have elite vertical speed or be a technical separator. After studying the tape, I'm not necessarily seeing either of those things from Scott Moore, which is why I think there's a lot of downside and why he's going back in the second for us, where I've seen him go early second. Some of the mocks are doing the with the community. If you want to join a mock draft with us, just hit that Discord link for free down in the description. But the go-to bread and butter for Sky Moore was, was slants from the slot. Slants mm -hmm. from the slot. And so if he can get the right utilization, that's why he's so landing spot dependent. We need him to go to an offense where an OC is going to say, hey, let's just get this guy in space. He's not going to be a yak receiver. He's not your Traylon Burks. And the comps are really, really tough to find, which is also a red flag. I mean, maybe the highest upside comp for a Sky Moore would be Santana Moss. At 5'10", 200 pounds, ran a 4'3", so has that elite vertical speed. All right, Sky Moore, 5'10", 195, 4'4", speed. So even then, it's kind of a stretch to say Santana Moss is through that upside comp. And that I'm just saying that because it shows you how difficult it is to find a comp for Sky Moore, but still a very exciting prospect. If you guys want to see us go into round three, these super deep names where it's more of just pick your poison. What kind of flavor of player do you like? By all means, let us know in the Discord, in the comments. If you guys like what we do here on the channel, like it a sub, greatly appreciated. We'll see you all next time. Peace. Peace.